Morning City Church, this is Jeremy Pryor bringing you a moment of reflection in this final week of Advent, a moment to remember Jesus and the songs we sing, a moment to ready our hearts for Christmas. A few weeks ago, we were discussing the story of the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist at our city group, and someone asked, what's the Presbyterian view on angels? Given that we encounter them quite a lot in the Bible, and especially a lot around the Nativity, how should we understand their role and place in the biblical story in our own? I think that's too big of a question for us to answer today, but I did think of it as I was preparing these reflections on today's carol, which is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. If you're like me, then angels have probably become background noise in not just this hymn, but the story of Christmas itself. And if you're also like me, you've probably thought more of, picked up more of your theology of angels from It's a Wonderful Life or medieval artwork than you have from your Bible. But to all that, I want to say not this year, my friends. No, this year we're not going to neglect these supporting actors of the Nativity story. They're not just the equivalent of a Greek chorus, and so let's grant them just a few moments of our time. The first thing to know about angels is that the term itself is a bit amorphous. Our English Bibles use the term to cover a number of words and phrases to denote what we might more accurately describe with the phrase ministering spirit or member of the heavenly host. The word angel itself is really more of a job title than the name of a species. It means simply messenger. Second, the reality of angels assumes the reality of heaven or an unseen realm that exists as a part of creation, but that is incorporeal or non-physical. It's typically depicted in scripture as God's throne room, but any humans who see it or have a vision of it seem to find it incredibly difficult to explain what exactly they've witnessed. You can think of all of the like this or appearance as of that language in Revelation as an example. It's hard to know how literally to understand the passages of scriptures that describe heaven visually, but what is clear is that in heaven, God is on the throne and various members of the heavenly host are present. Some are guarding the throne, some are worshiping the one who is on it, and some are executing God's commands. I think that's a helpful image to remember when we consider Christ's word in the, words in the Lord's prayer regarding things being done on earth as they are in heaven. Third, when angels appear to people on earth physically, they don't have wings. Rather, they are almost always described as having the appearance of male adults. In some cases, they aren't even recognized as angels, but mistaken to be simply people. In Luke 2, when the shepherds are in the fields, the angel that initially appears to them is not described as appearing at all unusual, and what terrifies the shepherd, shepherds isn't the angel, but the glory of the Lord that surrounds them collectively when the angel appears. After the angel has delivered the message and the multitude of angel appear, angels appear, it doesn't say that they were all in the sky or levitating or doing anything else strange. It simply says they manifested, sang the song, and then went back to heaven. Lastly, the story of angels and the story of humans are inextricably linked. God uses angels to accomplish his plans for this world and our redemption. Angels are key players in all of the four chapters of the big story, creation, fall, redemption, and consummation, and God employs them as mediators between us and himself at key points throughout Scripture. While God can certainly accomplish his purposes without them, he chooses to use them much in the same way that he chooses to use us, despite not really needing us to do the things he needs to do. I doubt that Charles Wesley had much, if any, of this in view when he first wrote the song we now call Hark the Herald Angels Sing in 1739. Yet I do wonder whether he had more of it in mind than we do today when we sing the words of the song in church. We live in what is sometimes referred to as a disenchanted age. Serious people today typically don't believe in any unseen realm or incorporeal spirits that sometimes become manifest to us in God's providence for special reasons. Now, since the age of the Enlightenment, many of us struggle to affirm the existence of any forces in our world other than those physical or chemical, 
And some of us would rather that the Bible not have any supernatural elements in it because we think that that might be a bit easier to accept historically. When the temptation to modern atheism is strong, it may help to be reminded of a few truths, not the least of which is the reality of angels. But the more important one is the real focus of the hymn, and that is the reality of the Incarnation, or veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, as Mr. Wesley phrases it. That is, a real living human child born to a first century Jewish woman named Mary when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and yet who had no earthly father, being conceived by the Holy Spirit. It's probably not an overstatement to say that the miracle of the Incarnation is the greatest rebuke to a purely materialistic account of reality that one could imagine. It refutes not only the belief in no God, but vindicates the belief in God with the kind of evidence of his existence that is so often argued to be lacking, physical and historical reality. Jesus wasn't just a manifesting spirit, he was a corporeal person. Bethlehem was and is a real place in our world, not the analogical equivalent of the North Pole. The reality of the Incarnation not only rebukes a metaphysics of pure materialism, it simultaneously affirms the goodness of the material. I forget who said it, but someone I read this year quipped that God must sure like matter, he made a lot of it. And for God himself to take on a human form implies something even deeper than a mere affection for creation. It's, it implies the love of us as his creatures by choosing to inhabit a body like ours. As Harrison reminded us in his sermon this past Sunday, Christ not only took on flesh one time and for a few minutes, like a sweater that your mom made you wear for a Christmas family photo and you couldn't wait to get off, he's actually pleased to wear our flesh for eternity. It's absolutely wild. So if the ground of the Incarnation is love, what is its consequence for us? I think if I had to sum it up in one word, it's hope. I mentioned a moment ago that most of us live today in a world that believes people only exist as the result of some great cosmic accident. Thus, for most of our world, the big truth is that there is no meaning to our lives other than that which we construct for ourselves. Life's just the equivalent of a big soccer match. Our joys don't really transcend the scoring of a goal under completely artificial and humanly constructed conditions. Our sorrows don't amount to anything more than irrational responses to physical stimuli. To some of our neighbors, that may appear exhilarating, but I think to most people, that's the most anti-human, anti-hope story one could imagine. But thanks be to God, that's not the ultimate truth of existence. And we know this because of the Incarnation. God did not leave us to die when we rejected Him. He did something far greater and more glorious than we could have ever hoped or imagined. He took on our form, and He saved us. Mild He lays His glory by, born that men no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. God is with us, City Church. Stay well and do good. sure to head to our show notes to listen to the song shared in today's episode. Our show music this week is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel by Sufjan Stevens. Good Morning City Church is a weekday podcast produced by the community and staff of City Church of Richmond located in Richmond, Virginia. To learn more about us, visit citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening.